We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. And joining me on the other line, as per usual, are my fellow Brew Hoop brethren, Kyle Carr and Raleigh Feldman. Fellas, how are you doing uh, after a, a big, big weekend of Bucks news? Not just Bucks news, Adam, but the MLS season started this weekend. So oh, from here on out, we're going to have <laughs> we're gonna have an MLS section. So everybody get rare and ready to go for that. I was going to say, Minnesota United off to a strong start. They still can't defend that well in set pieces, but they won on the road, which is a miracle for them. And also, we survived the road trip. So, bravo to us. This is the point at which we do the bait and switch and reveal that this is no longer a basketball podcast, but in <laughs> fact, a soccer podcast under the Brew Hoop banner. We've uh, yeah. Now that we have the subscribers in, uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna take advantage of that. Okay, I have a question for you, Kyle. Is the Madison forward thing with the flamingos are they mls or what are they when they No, start? so they are usl league one so there's mls which is like the top tier okay and then there's the usl which is united states league or something like that and they're kind of and they have like three different tiers so kind of like european based so there's like the usl championship then there's usl league one and usl league two so Ford Madison's going to be in the USL League One. So they're more of a Division Three tier program. So that's where they are. Um, if there ever is promotion and relegation in the United States, it would pretty much go MLS, then USL Championship, then USL League One, USL League Two. So kind of a short but sweet version of where Ford Madison is. And there actually is a team in Green Bay also owned by the same group that owns Ford Madison, and they're at USL League 2. What's the but, what's the Green Bay team's mascot? Um, I don't know what theirs is, but their team name is the Voyagers. Voyagers, okay. So it's just some big, burly-looking like lumberjack guy, I'm going to assume. Give or take, probably. Yeah, we can't yeah. on that. Well... Apologies to every listener. I'm sorry I asked, um, but thank you for that helpful information, Kyle. I feel like I oh, trust me. I can go all day about Ford Madison. Don't you worry. <laughs> next uh, podcast. Yeah, that'll be the, that'll be the next pod. Um, or tune in when we do a Tuesday show, which is just Riley and Kyle just talking MLS stuff for <laughs> three hours. Uh, all right, well, guys, let's let's get right to it because a huge bit of news dropped on Friday, and that, of course, is that really really huge shifting. Shifting news, basically, here that Pogasol will uh, sign with the Bucks after a buyout from the Spurs. Now, we'll talk about that later. But, of course, we have to talk about Eric Bledsoe getting paid a four-year, $70 million contract. Kind of dropped out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting it at all. I don't think any Bucks can, fan can say they were expecting it. Came on Friday. Riley, you hear this news come across. Adrian Wojnarowski tweets it. First thoughts going through your head. Uh, first thing was just how crazy of a day it was because we had gone into it earlier in the morning because I believe it had, and this is how it worked with Gasol as well, but we were kind of, I was keeping an eye out for any sort of buyout guys because anybody who was bought out on March 1st could still sign with somebody else that day and be eligible to be on the playoff roster. So when the Gasol news hit, I was like, okay, wow, that's really gigantic news. And I figured that was going to be the extent of it. And then 
like you said, that Bledsoe news comes kind of out of nowhere and um, it's just excitement. I mean, I think it's a good sign that Horst is proactively working with what we can assume is a strategy to retain the core and to not have to leave it up to chance or leave it up to a later on timeline where you're still, there's a lot of different moving parts. The fact that you're able to nail down a guy like Bledsoe, who should be a critical piece for the next two, three, four seasons, however, you know, however long he's able to hold up. Um, I think that bodes well for just the way that this summer should go. And it reduces the amount of volatility, which is always a plus. Yeah. And Kyle, okay. So you see the news. What's the first, what's the first reactions from you on your end? Well, kind of like what Riley's saying, it was like all the buyouts, because first it was rumored that Marcin Gortat was a, a potential person, and I was like, okay, cool, he's a big body, I can, that will work for someone, you know, Brooke Lopez insurance, then it was, okay, they're going to sign Paul Gasol, and I was like, okay, have no complaints about that, you know, he can bring a veteran presence, and again, be a big body in case Lopez were, for some reason, to get hurt, and then it was kind of nice that, seeing that news with Bledsoe, I kind of, like, had to do a double take because I wanted to double check the timestamp first just to be like, okay, this isn't an old tweet that someone's trying to troll me on. And then I double checked <laughs> that it was actually whoa. It's like I was like, I wasn't believing it at first because I didn't even realize you could like extend players like at this point of the season. I figured it was just one of those where you kind of try and do it before the season or like in October. And then once November comes around, you kind of just sit there and wait until the summer. So the fact that they were able to do it was a positive thing. And then just seeing the amount was even better because, you know, it was under his cap hold. It was a four-year deal. It sounds like that fourth year might not even be fully guaranteed, which is very helpful also. So it's kind of the nice little combo of it was a team-friendly deal, I think. And, you know, you get one less thing that you have to worry about in the summer. Like, now you don't have to worry about Bledsoe. And, I mean, I think he deserved the contract based off of how he's playing. Now the only hope is he continues that level of play throughout the playoffs and the, the next couple of years. But I think it was one of those where it doesn't hurt to get that locked in. And at the rates that were agreed to, it seems like it's a win-win for everyone. Bledsoe gets his paycheck, his last big paycheck. Horse is able to save a couple million dollars and he doesn't have to worry. That's one less player he has to try and negotiate with over the summer. And I think it's also a sign that when you're winning, things can go well and you can make these kind of moves where you can kind of convince the guy, like, let's just get this out of the way now if the time is right. Yeah. And of course you mentioned that his cap holds. So basically for those of you that don't know, certainly if you're looking for incredible deep dive into the minutia of CBA stuff, salary cap stuff, certainly would recommend a fine pod locked on bucks featuring Frank Madden and Eric name. Uh, Frank knows all of this CBA stuff and salary cap stuff inside and out. So we're going to do a little more cursory level stuff here, but hopefully it still aids to the understanding of, of what you're looking for. And of course, go on brewhoop.com as well. Mitchell Maurer has good pieces on this that he wrote about, and this certainly will will shift a bit of the dynamic from what he wrote about just a couple weeks ago. But Eric Bledsoe's cap holds, so basically what would have counted against the Bucks books. Like the Bucks, because Eric Bledsoe would be entering free agency, they don't just get all of his contracts off the books. Like by allowing, by keeping his cap hold on the team, that would retains the fact that the Bucks have bird rates to him, which means that the Bucks would be able to go over the salary cap to retain him on their team. Otherwise, for other free agents, they'd have to use cap space, which they have basically basically none of because of the cap, many cap holds that they have at this point. So Eric Bledsoe's cap hold would have been $22.5 million after this season. If you look at what his contract will probably be given the estimated raises it'll be, 
It should be around 15.6 million this next year, which is just a little bit above his salaries making this year $15 million. So at least in the immediate future, you hope that you would be able to um, get a little bit more flexibility this summer. And of course, that's all the more important with the people that the Bucks are trying to retain as well. Riley, the thing that the thing that really stood out to me that I think was most interesting, and Kyle touched on this about hoping it goes to the playoffs, but we talked just a few weeks ago about how this front office might try and think about this team and think about who they're going to prioritize and retain. And we kind of thought that they would be thinking the playoffs would matter a lot more in terms of deciding who they're going to get. And I'm sure that will for all the other players. But I think Eric Bledsoe was probably the biggest question mark for all of us in terms of if his play would translate over to the playoffs. But clearly the Bucks have decided that what they've seen from this regular season was enough. They got him at a decent number and they just decided that now is the time to pull the trigger. Yeah, I think I think there's a, a bit of wisdom to that. I think it's difficult to erase the memory of last season's playoffs just because it was such a sore thumb experience for Bledsoe and his failings were could be chalked up as being a critical reason why the team wasn't able to get out of the first round, even against a shorthanded Celtics team. But you can kind of combine his struggles last year with you know, he was still, that was his first season. He joined early in the season, but he was still, you know, he didn't have a preseason to kind of mesh with everybody else. The coaching changes, the chaos going on with that. Um, and then as we've seen in pieces, just, you know, different reporters talking about him, and just kind of the general feel you get from him and his interviews and everything after games. The fact that he seems to have bought so much into how Bud wants to use him and the relationship that those two have and kind of the way that he's able to dictate a little bit defensively, like what is going to be the approach here. He he's there's entrust or Bud entrusts Bledsoe to kind of lead the way the defense goes. And then Bledsoe's still able to get his points and utilize his style of play offensively and yet it isn't so much where every single possession has to go through him. And so you're able to balance his production, still have Giannis get everything he needs. You kind of have those two kind of do a little bit of buddy ball every once in a while, which is nice. Um, and I think, like you said, over the off season and then throughout the regular season, I think Bud and the coaching staff and probably management as well has gotten a good enough feel that the way that Bledsoe is playing now is up to their standards and probably going to be sustainable barring, you know, if there's injury or anything like that, but sustainable for at least the next couple of seasons. And so that puts a lot of priority of just getting it done right now. And um, I think that's just a good sign of what we should expect, hopefully for the playoffs and then beyond that as well. Yeah. And you, I think the other point to mention with the playoffs and certainly Eric Bledsoe had a terrible, terrible experience last year, but it was also like the first time he had been in the playoffs in a significant time, in a significant role, essentially in his career. So I can't blame the guy for getting a little starstruck, but it certainly stuck with him over the whole summer. That was basically the lingering storyline that left its stink on him all summer long. Kyle, you talked about the the number looking pretty good to you. What do you, what do you think about the fact that this is four years? Uh, you know, that seemed to be a little bit of the quibbles that people had is that this may not be the best on the back end of this contract, which you're typically going to expect when you sign a guy to his probably his second contract and he takes him into his early thirties. You know, what do you think about the four years that they got him on? Yeah, I guess I, you know, I don't know if the contract is also going to be a declining as it goes throughout the year. So if they're going to front load it, you know, this year and going into the 2020, uh, the 2021 season, you know, if it's more front loaded in terms of salary wise, it is, better off if it's four years because then at least kind of like John Henson's where 
it kind of declined in the amount as the years went on. But it's going to be something that I guess I didn't have an issue with four years because, you know, I don't know how the cap's going to be, you know, a couple of years from now. But if it continues to increase, then it's not going to be as much of an issue. Plus, I think when you get to, you know, that final year or two, and like I said, if that fourth year is not guaranteed, then that's even better. But, you know, I think it's it is a concern with four years, but, you know, I don't think you were ever going to get him at a, you know, two year deal. You might have gotten away with three, but it would have probably been more money. So I think four years is fine. I get the concerns, especially with, you know, his durability and, you know, defensively, he uses physicality so much and his physical abilities that will that start to wane as he gets older? And that, I mean, that's going to be something that happens with every older player. So I think the four years is fine, but I can understand why people are concerned. But I guess it depends on the contract numbers also. Well, I think this is a lot like kind of like a microcosm of the position the team is in general, where you have all these guys who are producing at such a high level. And how are you going to possibly replace them given the cap restraints that you're going to be dealing with in the offseason? And yes, like you said, Kyle, there are concerns about how to see age, but even, you know, in his late thirties, he is an athletic player, but it's not like athleticism where it's necessarily like above the rim or anything like that. A lot of his strength. And then there is a bit of agility still that he has to rely on, on defense, but I think it would be reasonable to expect him as long as, you know, he continues to be in shape and everything like that, which we haven't seen anything to suggest otherwise that he'd be able to maintain at this high of a level, or at least, you know, a shape beneath that for the next two seasons, which if, like we were saying, it kind of depends if that fourth year isn't fully guaranteed, then maybe you get a little bit of flexibility where a couple of years down the line, maybe he's not producing at the same level and you're able to find a way to kind of package him just depending on the way the look, league looks at that point. But I, I think four years, yes, the top line value is a little bit, it generates a little bit of hesitancy, but overall, I don't think it's the end of the world given the way he's played and the way you could probably expect over the short term. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing to point out for the people who maybe people who aren't as big of fans of this, they would probably point to well, you know, who else could the Bucks get? And I, we've talked about this. It's the Bucks really they'd have to renounce their cap holds on a lot of their players, which would mean that they wouldn't retain their bird rights. They wouldn't be able to go over the cap, which is basically unlikely for all you know all the big name guys that they wanted to keep going up to this summer. So, but let's just go. Let's do a create like the crazy theoretical where the Bucks. You know, that that wouldn't even happen. But if you just look at the other guys that are going to be out on the market potentially this year. Um, so if you I'm just on looking at the list of free agent point guards this next summer, uh, Kyrie Irving. You know, if you don't, I don't Which really you need yeah. a max space for that. And, you know, we've yeah. already gone over that. So not happening. I also, I also don't need his vibe in Milwaukee at all. I think the uh, article about Eric Bledsoe and it seemed like he really cared about being in a place like Milwaukee where he can just hang out with his family and care about basketball and not have to worry about distractions probably was one of the reasons that he was able to, that he wanted to sign this contract. Kemba Walker is number, another guy. He's of course been, you know, some people have would have liked it if the Bucks maybe would have found a way to get Kemba Walker. You know, he does offer the kind of shooting that Eric Bledsoe doesn't have, but again, like the cap limitations make it so hard to even get these guys. There's D'Angelo Russell and there's Eric Bledsoe and then there's Derek Rose Corn Dragic. Uh, I mean, you know, Brogdon's on that list. Ricky Rubio, Terry Rogier, Derry Collison, Isaiah Thomas, Jabari Parker. Rondo. What? <laughs> what? Who said that? Wait. <laughs> oh my God! I get out of here. Uh, I mean, you, like you look, you look at the list of guys, and I, I think the main 
point I wanted to make here is that I think the one out of all of the guys, I think it's interesting that they prioritized uh, Eric Bledsoe, but I, 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 I like it quite a bit because when you think about, I don't know, you think about guys on the free agent market and, you know, Eric Bledsoe is supposedly good friends with LeBron, shares an agent with LeBron. Uh, if the Lakers somehow strike out in free agency this summer, I think there's probably a, a world in which uh, LeBron basically goes, all right, look, we need to get someone in here. Uh, Eric Bledsoe is my guy. He shares an agent with me. Uh, let's just offer this guy a big amount of money. So I think that the bidding could have been driven up for Eric Bledsoe in this offseason. And so I think just for those connections alone, I think it kind of made sense to just kind of get his settled and out of the way and focus on negotiations for these other guys come the summer. Yeah, I think he's unique as like the only guy that this is really, or was a really clear option. Um, like we were saying earlier, it, it wasn't really on the radar that an extension was, you know, nigh. But of all the potential free agents, I think he was the one most likely just because at this point, I think the Bucks are capped out as at whatever the maximum offer of an extension they could have given to Brogdon. So we can assume that Brogdon forwent that and we'll see how he goes in the open market. And then Chris obviously is, you know, his own kind of arms with the way that he's kind of looking at probably a max contract. So um, I agree that it was in the best interest of the Bucks to do this. And I doubt that, you know, there was many other options for other guys that they can nail down. So at least they got this here. Now you get rid of the chaos. And when you go into the open market, you can say, okay, at least we have our starting point guard nailed down. We don't have to worry about that, which in a, ever more guard heavy league having a reliable option there is, you know, ever more important. So. Yeah. And I yep. think, I mean, I think this makes, you know, the bucks, it was interesting. I remember the summer where the, all that cap room opened up and the bucks just kind of started spending it all like the, the Plumley contract, the Miritich contract, all these guys that wound up not being great contracts, but I, at the time for me, it made, it made sense. Like they all seemed like guys that were going to fit around Giannis. It seemed like, they were going all in and trying to see if this would work. But I was fascinated by the fact that they seemed ready to kind of just get their business done and settled out of the way that summer, as opposed to try and move on and see if they could do some stuff the next year. And this feels like a, another sort of preemptive move on the Bucks part to take at least one chess piece and take it out of the fact that they have to, they have to deal with it. You know, the having a point guard figured out in this league, I think is, is important. And even if there's a huge amount of point guards that people can get, I, I mean, when you look at who the Bucks have had at point guard for the past, what, two decades, it's there's no contest that Bledsoe is certainly their best point guard since Sam Cassell, right? Sir, how dare you respect rookie year Brandon Jennings okay. or whatever? What was that game six, Brandon Jennings? Yeah. You can't you can you can't doubt that. Come on. It's I don't know. I think um, I, I think there I think there's something to be said for that, too. Just the fact that he has so had so much importance to this team, it seems like, especially defensively. I mean, you only had to look at uh, the the Jazz game and you see Pat Connaughton trying to chase around Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I mean, you know, a game like that can can switch on a dime and Eric Bledsoe out there, you, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm sure if he ever gets a chance to face the off against Donovan Mitchell again, he's going to let him know that, yeah, there's a reason he went off for 46 when he was on the bench. Uh, and I don't, I, I just think that's a really interesting ideology and philosophy that Bledsoe has that Bud seems to have unlocked in him. Uh, and I think it's certainly worthwhile to keep around. Well, I think the what you're saying, the fact that he's a two-way guard as well, like he's so dominant on both ends or has moments where he can be so dominant on both ends, 
that has a value all its own. Like, yeah, it's one thing where you maybe have a Kemba or a Kyrie who are offensive juggernauts, and then you kind of you make do, and maybe they can kind of lock in for defensive possessions here or there. But with the way the team is constructed now, everything revolves around Giannis offensively. So to be able to have a guy who, when Giannis is off or he's off the court or somebody else is off, whatever the deal is, he can kind of help pick up the slack. He doesn't need to be the top guy, but when it's called upon, he can still kind of function. And then on the other end where he can dictate the flow of things and he can kind of break things up at the point of attack and fits really well in the way that Bud is kind of schemed up the team. You know, I'm not sure how it's difficult to gauge the value of one guy who's on one team when he, if he was put in different environments, like how adaptable is he? But the fact that he fits so perfectly with the way things are going now, and he's shown the ability to change the way he approaches things, or he's bought into change in a way that would suggest that in the future, if Bud determines that a new strategy is needed, or he kind of adjusts the rest of the league adjusts to the way the Bucks are playing. I think all of that alone drives up the value to Milwaukee so much more than it might be to other teams, even if other teams would get in a bidding war just because obviously Bledsoe is a good player. But there's so much importance in getting this kind of deal done before the offseason even arrives. And speaking of the offseason, Kyle, the thing that interests me the most about this is the Malcolm Brogdon negotiations are going to be fascinating because I don't. I honestly feel like I'm having a really hard time pegging what his value might be to other teams versus the Bucks. Uh, how do you think this might affect the Bucks going into this summer negotiating with Brogdon, the fact that they have at least half of the backcourt already sewed up? I think it's going to be a little bit more in the Bucks' favor because it'd be one thing if they let you know Bledsoe go because there's not really that many good alternatives at the point guard position but in the shooting guard position it's kind of a different story i mean granted you're not going to get you know clay thompson or jimmy butler but you can maybe try and see about like a jj reddick or danny green or hell even a terrence ross you know guys like that where they can kind of come in kind of be a microwave type of guy so i think for the bucks it's going to give them more of kind of like the edge going into it and i think it might be able to be something that they can say like look you're also a restricted free agent, so we can just see what you get. And if someone wants to offer you, you know, 15 plus million to be in like a four or five year deal, then okay, so be it. We'll have to just cut our losses. But it's kind of tough because Brogdon also is the guy that seems to hit the clutch three. He is the guy that, you know, when the Bucks badly need a basket, he's able to get it. And, you know, it's one of those things where he's a great PR guy. And I think the Bucks would want to keep him, but. You know, I think they're also going to be in the position of, unlike Bledsoe, there's, we can find different alternatives to fill in your role. Maybe it won't be to the same value, but it's still in terms of skill and ability, it, it is kind of something that you can find in the open market. Yeah, Riley, and I think that the, the thing, the interesting thing about Brogdon is he's he's also able to run the point and he does a lot of those, those things that Bud likes. He can dribble, he can shoot, he can pass, he can do all of those basically standard basketball things that get him in, in Bud's pet house. But, you know, it, like Kyle was saying, I mean, those other shooting guards probably don't offer it quite to that level, but I think Bud also has like an incredible belief in him and his staff's ability to turn, probably turn people into, probably, certainly maybe not players of Brogdon's level, but at least can be kind of Brogdon light. And I'm sure they have those sort of aspirations for guys like Dante DiVincenzo and, uh, you know, Sterling Brown even, you know, he's shown a little bit of ability, but, uh, you know, do do you think that, like Kyle was saying, the uh, Brogdon 
and sort of the role that he's filling right now might be a little more replaceable than the ones that we were thinking of for Bledsoe. Yeah, I would think so. And like you said, I was I was going to bring up if you didn't the fact that there have been so many guys that have kind of moved in and out in terms of the substitute rotation with it to back up Brogdon and the fact that they all kind of play similar roles. I think that speaks to the fact that it, it, even if it isn't so much that they think they can maximize and maybe they do think and they are able to maximize guys, but they're able to kind of simplify that position and it doesn't matter like which guy it is as long as they kind of fill fulfill certain criteria baseline criteria they're able to go out there and give enough that it doesn't it, it's not the end of the world if brogdon isn't playing or whoever it happens to be so i would agree that maybe he's a little bit more replaceable i think that's an interesting question that kind of each fan has to come to an answer to and how important they think brogdon is um and i think just talking about his potential next contract situation. I would agree with Kyle that this probably puts the Bucks or puts it a little bit more in the Bucks' favor just because if we look back on the 2016 offseason, which is the last time that there was like a really big Skype or really big spike in uh, cap values, there was this gigantic wave of like really awful contracts, which we all know about. And the Bucks definitely partook in that to a certain extent. But then <laughs> as time went on and I haven't looked back at like the free agent list in a long time and what guys signed for and at what time. But I think because of the way that restricted free agency works, there's going to be more downward pressure on whatever Brogdick's next contract offer from another team might be just because if somebody else offers them a contract, then they get tied up for a while while they give time for the bucks to be able to match that offer and everybody else. And, I have no idea what Brogdon's value around the league or on the open market will be, but I think a lot of other teams will be probably pursuing more flexible options that they have more of a guarantee of nailing down, even at higher values, just because messing with somebody of Brogdon's importance where you're not able to tell, like, is he really that important where Milwaukee definitely match or maybe not? Um, I think that'll definitely push down. And obviously he's still going to get paid. I mean, no doubt about that. He's going to make a lot more money than he's making right now. But I think overall this signing and then just, the general ability to kind of swap in different players, uh, especially on the substitute role, kind of pushes it in a direction where it might end up pushing down Brogdon's value, or at least his next contract dollar value. Yeah, right. I, and I think go it, ahead, oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think it also kind of shifts the priority because now, you know, you still want to have Middleton. That's still going to be the first choice, but it kind of moves. I think it makes trying to find a way to make Brooke, Lo Brooke Lopez work. Because if they can find a deal for him that matches, then they can kind of see, okay, how much leftover do we have for Brogdon and how can we make this work? So I think that's going to be something that will be different also. It's just the fact that they can maybe just turn around and say, okay, we got we got to get Middleton. How much can we give Brooke? And then depending on those two things, how much do we have leftover for, for Brogdon? Well, I think going into the summer would have been, we have to get Middleton. I don't know what we're going to do with Bledsoe. I don't know what we're going to do with Brogdon and how much money can we give to Brooke? Yeah, and I, I think this is just so, I just think it's so fascinating that Bledsoe wanted to get this figured out. And Brogdon, I I mean, this is really going to be the only big payday he'll probably likely have in his whole career. So I can't blame the guy if he's trying to look to get paid and set up his whole family, given his advanced, advanced quote unquote, advanced age uh, in the league. I believe he's around 26. But, you know, it's this is such an interesting tone setter if Eric Bledsoe does this. And I would say probably perception around the league is I would guess that this is a little bit of a, like a hometown discount. 
so I'm curious if 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 these other guys are gonna follow suit at all. I mean, like this is this is basically what Giannis did when he signed his smaller contract um, was to allow the Bucks to have a little more room to to do these kind of things. You know, are the other guys gonna follow suit as well? I mean, there was that quote from Mark Lazary, I think, in that uh, Zach Lowe piece about Chris Milton about like, you know, does he love Milwaukee? Yeah, enough to give us a discount. Yeah, I don't know, uh, which was like really like it was like really rousing weird. endorsement, right? It was like such a strange way to close out that article one and two made me think a little bit more about um, I don't know. I guess I didn't picture um, I guess I picture Chris Middleton, maybe just because of his quiet demeanor as maybe being the kind of guy who would do that. But I, I mean, I don't know, really know anything about him. And I I would have not guessed that Eric Bledsoe would want to do this just based on all of the stuff that's swirled out around him for his whole career, you know? Uh, so I think that's going to be just like a, a fascinating uh, thing to watch as we head into the, the off season here to see how those guys jockey for their money or maybe talk together to try and, you know, work it out and run the, run this thing back. Well, it's not like, I mean, it was com- I think it was common sense where, you know, Middleton already took one pay cut. So to expect him to take a second one would have been very naive for everyone involved. So, I guess I didn't see anything really weird about that quote. I think it was just like, well, yeah, Middleton's not going to take a hometown discount or a pay cut to stay with the team, obviously, but he wants to stay in Milwaukee, but he's not going to you know, take a significant pay cut to what his value is to do it. And I was like, okay, yep. Sounds about right. So I think it was just one of those where it probably didn't need to be added in the article, but it was, it was just something that I didn't really think twice on. Yeah. yeah I'm not sure. Well, I was Go just going to say, like, the the idea that Chris took a pay cut, like, yeah, a slight one, but he's, I think he got a sort of market value. I think the main issue when talking about Chris and what his next contract will be, and we've kind of heard about this a little bit with, like, Jimmy Butler pushing really hard for, like, he needs this max contract because, and I think Kemba is kind of a similar position because a lot of these guys signed contracts right before the big boom of 2016. And so the contracts that they were on were kind of, like, market value just a few months right before the giant explosion and everybody got handed out gigantic contracts for you know a lot lesser players than they are and so i think it's reasonable to expect that you know chris has been quote unquote laboring at a level beneath what he should probably be or commensurate with his pay level and so i think it's understandable that he's coming upon this free agency and maybe he's looking back like oh i took this discount but i think it was a fair value at the time um and now he has this priority of I missed out on that last big boom, but now here comes the next one timing. I can make up for all that. So I'm real skeptical that Chris will take maybe maybe like a slight haircut on the top value, but I would be shocked if it was like any sort of gigantic cut, like not that Bledsoe got a gigantic cut, but as team friendly as it ended up being for Bledsoe. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I mean, the, pertinent to the ownership, of course, and looking at the Bucks. Um, you know, the, the number that you really want to be looking at is the space that they have below the luxury tax. Uh, primarily, you know, we can talk we can talk a lot about if the ownership is going to finally be willing to pay the tax now that they have a, a championship contender. You know, they seem to have said that in the past, but we know how that goes with owners. I mean, just look at what happened in Houston this year uh, as they were just shedding contracts left and right to try to get under the tax. Uh, you know, but the, the the more interesting thing about whether the Bucks go into the tax or not is some of the tools and mechanisms that they'll have available to try and get Brooke back uh, on a team friendly deal, especially since they don't have they don't have his bird rights. So basically the strongest mechanism that they would have to be able to bring it back is the non taxpayer mid-level exception. Uh, 
um, which is around $9 million for this season, might be a little bit more for next season. But, you know, if you say, well, the, the ownership should just pay the tax, like they, they're going to get more money from the playoff run, like that's going to help offset some of those costs. We basically gave you a, a half the public funding. Uh, you didn't even have to cover half of it because Herb Cole split, you know, foot, foot, you know, $100 million worth of the bill as well. Uh, like you can, you can certainly afford to pay the tax. Well, if the bucks do go into the tax, it sort of restricts some of the options that are available to them that uh, they could be able to offer Brooks. So basically if you go into the tax, the taxpayer mid-level exception is only 5.3 million. So think about like what the warriors did with the Marcus cousins this year. So since they pay so much money, they're in the tax and they still have the mid-level exception, but it's at a significantly smaller number. Would Brooke Lopez want to come back for 5.3 million? Uh, I don't know. It doesn't really seem like it based on uh, the value that he would have to tons of other teams. You know, will 9 million be enough if you get, if you stay under the tax? Um, I also think that's questionable. And maybe if the bucks do go up to that number, uh, they'd have to give him longer years uh, or something like that. So I think when we're thinking about these, all these contracts too, that are going up, Brooke really is like the hardest wrench to try and figure out, given the fact that the Bucks just have a few less tools in their arsenal to try and bring him back since they don't have his bird rights. Um, so that's just some more food for thought. Anything else you guys want to talk about in relation to maybe some of these other guys, um, upcoming free agency and this Eric Bledsoe contract? I'd say the main thing that's jumping out to me heading into it is, and we've talked about throughout the season and last offseason as well as how high my confidence is in John Horst getting the job done and whether it's Horst and Bud or whoever the combination is. I mean, it seems like over the past calendar year, every single move has turned out to be awesome, essentially. Like even the DJ Wilson uh, pick, which was universally panned by everybody, rightly so, for the first year. I mean, that turned around for like a two, three, four month period here during this season. So I think. I'm going to, for now, place trust in Horst and company to be able to kind of nail the steps correctly. And, you know, it's tough to bat a thousand with all the different moving parts, but I'm glad that they're, he and his team are in place to kind of help manage the transition into the next era, whatever it happens to be, rather than, you know, X number of other teams who happen to have whatever their front office is. Yeah, I guess I don't really have much. It's just going to be, it's just nice to see Bledsoe get the contract and then immediately after his performance against the Lakers. It was just like, it just makes you feel better about the contract and everything that happened after that. And, you know, I think the, I think it also, like I said, it's one less thing that we have to stress out about. It's one less thing that we have to worry about. And I agree with Riley horse has managed this year and even last year to like make pretty good moves. So like, I think horse has done a fantastic job so far. Yeah. Big ups to big ups to our guy, Johnny horse in the front office doing, absolutely fine work uh and i i'm i'm happy for bledsoe too i've been a i felt like i was kind of strong like strong defender of him this summer after his really woeful playoff performance i just think he showed too much good stuff in the regular season for it to not be worthwhile so good on him for getting paid finally and of course another guy who's uh just got out of a contract with the san antonio spurs and is flying his way right to milwaukee is pagasol who let's first Instead, before we break down how what he might add to the Bucks, let's pour one out for Isaiah Cannon. Um, Kyle, I know you thought he put some important. Um, he importantly drew a charge and hit two threes. Right? <laughs> Those are. Is that what he'll have on his tombstone? Yep. Hit two threes. Took a charge. R.I.P. Fire the cannon. 
<laughs> fire the can. So, so, sort of darkly comic there. A rallying uh, cry to rival Bucks and Six, if I've ever heard one. <laughs> um, but of course, the more important thing of, is that Pogasol joining the Bucks this year, he's averaging a career low 12.2 minutes, 4.2 points, 4.7 rebounds, 1.9 assists. He'd only appeared on, I believe, 27 games for the Spurs. He had some issues with his foot this year. Riley, what are your sort of your real realistic expectations for Paw uh, in terms of his role on this team? Uh, not much, um, <laughs> which is fine. I mean, you know, he's a buyout guy. I think I don't expect him to get a lot of burn throughout the regular season or the playoffs unless it's in like, you know, weird situations where maybe if Brooke gets injured. Um, I think we can look at this both as a combination of like the quote unquote championship experience, which, you know, I don't know whether people value that or otherwise is kind of to each their own, but also just having another big, and in this case, a veteran big who has a lot of experience and like, I guess, you know, I'm going to fall right back on it. A lot of experience in the postseason and kind of familiarity with the way that the defense is played just because the drop system which bud uses is reminiscent of the way that pop ends up you know kind of playing defense in san antonio and it worked for a long long time so i think it's it's a good buyout guy if only because he uniquely comes into a situation where he doesn't need a lot of time to kind of hit the ground running and get meshed within the way the team plays Whereas I always get concerned whether it be trade guys or other guys you pick up kind of off the scrap heap, how much, maybe they'll have an impact, but how much are they able to kind of familiarize themselves with the system with only 20 games for the playoffs? So I don't expect him to play a lot, but if he does, he should theoretically fit pretty well defensively. And then God only knows what he's able to do on offense these days. So I got nothing there. Kyle, here's something that I thought was I feel like usually with these buyout guys, you see a guy on a team and the, the Spurs are at sort of this lower end of the totem pole in the Western conference, but they're still in the playoff race. It's usually these teams, guys on teams that aren't really near the playoff race at all, getting jettisoned and then going to another team. That was weird that he got a buyout from the Spurs and wanted to come to the Bucks. You know, I think, I think in the Woj story, it's presumably for a slightly larger role. I, I just don't really know if there's that, if there's is there really like a much bigger role at all in Milwaukee compared to what he's doing in San Antonio? Yeah, that was the weird thing to me because, like I said, I only see him as like a you know in case Lopez gets hurt kind of thing, because or you know maybe just needs a break from banging with a Drummond or Embiid type of guy, uh, just because you know it was Bud has pretty much decided in terms of his backup five he's going to go with a. Ursan Miritich type of lineup or Ursan Giannis, you know, he's kind of going with like two power forwards instead of, you know, a backup traditional center. And I don't know what this larger role really is, but at the same time, I'm not bud, but yeah, it's kind of weird, but I think Gasol can still, you know, he's still a decent player. Like he's still an NBA caliber player that can, you know, come in and provide, some kind of skill in a short stint, you know, maybe I wouldn't want to be in the focal point of the team or being the team's, you know, top player, but he is someone that, you know, he can come off the bench. He can, you know, put in a good 10 minutes and I would feel confident about, and like, I wouldn't have any hesitation or reservations about it. I think by larger role, he meant he's going to add another championship ring to his resume, (laughs) uh, thus ensuring a hall of fame career gets even that much brighter. Uh, Riley, in terms of the outrage level, 
how uh, how upset do the Christian Woodlands have to be uh, when Paul Gasol gets minutes <laughs> over him versus uh, the the Jason Smith people? A little bit less, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know. That, can you really be super outraged? I mean, the only time that Wood got significant burn was last night against the Jazz, and that was because we had like a sandwich on the bench for in terms of options. So um, I'm not sure if you should be all that outraged because we're going to be returning to form as we've expected it or as we've come to known it uh, this season. So I'm not super outraged. I consider myself an okay Wood fan, but uh, hopefully you hold on and he improves over the off season and next year he gets a better role. That's what I would tell to the Woodlands people. All right. Well, that's the wrong answer. We should be mad. <laughs> uh, we wasn't expecting such an even tempered response, but, I appreciate that from you. Uh, anything else you guys have on Paul? Because he's going to have such a minute role on this team. I think I don't think he warrants that much conversation until um, we see his his face on the bench. Uh, and you know, there maybe, are maybe worse guys they could have bought on the buyout market. So, I mean, Paul's not the best that they could have gotten, but he certainly isn't the worst. I think two things. One, it was a missed marketing opportunity not to get Marcin Gortat uh, right before Fat Tuesday for all of the uh, content of him driving to Polish bakeries throughout Milwaukee and speaking with the bakers there. And two, uh, okay, I forgot my second point. All right. Well, that seems like a fitting way to end it. <laughs> the Gasol era begins point. on that note. Uh, yeah. And who knows? Maybe he'll, uh, if we face Toronto in a series, maybe he'll do some weird thing to, I don't know if he has any sort of good natured ribbing with Mark Gasol the way that uh, the Lopez brothers certainly do. I feel like they're, uh, any feud that they have um, would just be really boring and probably they'd probably just do it in Spanish. So we probably wouldn't even understand it. Isn't um, Pau Gasol known as like a polymath? Like he knows six languages. He's really into opera and like classical music. I believe he plays the piano, like all these sorts of things. I think he's a very, uh, very cultured individual. So I'm not sure if Mark followed in his older brother's footsteps in that regard. Interesting. So he's a polymath. A polymath, yeah. Mm, okay. Oh, a poly. Ah, okay. Mm, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I trampled all over it. I'm sorry. Stop. I'm sorry. That's, That's all right. But thanks for uh, correcting my pronunciation. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we're going to take a break here, uh, do a mid roll ad. Just forgot to pre you know, introduce it last week, but I'm doing it this week. So uh, stay tuned for whatever you're about to hear. All right. We're back. And guys, I think the last two things let's touch on. Let's look back at the week that was for the Bucks, and then look at the week ahead, of course. So as uh, as you know, we predicted what the Bucks would go last week. I think both of you guys said 3-1 uh, in these four games. I said 4-0, and, oh, and I was wrong. I feel like Kyle's been right literally every time we've done these predictions. Excuse me, I believe I correctly guessed that the Utah game would be the loss. Yeah, that's fair. Can I, I get my credit, LA please? It was going to be the loss, so. <laughs> All right, good work, Riley. Yeah. <laughs> You, yeah, you're doing really well. Uh, I think I've been, I've been wrong a lot. So, um, so, okay, so they win 117 to 106 over the Bulls. Woohoo! No Giannis in that game. Then they win at Sacramento 141 to 140 in OT against the Lakers 131 to 120. Bledsoe goes off for 31 9 and 5 after his big payday. And then, of course, they lose at Utah 115 to 111. No Bledsoe or Brockton in that game. So they went with the the big boy lineup. Um, Kyle, let's take a look at the, the week that was, you know, what's like the, what's one big takeaway or observation you had from any of these games? 
It was kind of like an interesting trend, I feel like, where, you know, the Bucks for the first half of the game either were just struggling to get, like, some momentum or, you know, we're used to them, like, in the second quarter just coming out on fire and just that's when they would gain the distance from the teams. And in these three in these three games, I didn't watch the Utah one, so I wouldn't know about that one. But it, for sure in the Chicago and Lakers game, they took forever to actually get going and it wasn't until like that second half where they finally you know kind of kicked into the high gear and then the sacramento one it was kind of like a weird game of runs where you know the kings were kind of just hitting shots you know harry giles was seemingly able to hit everything known to man and the Aaron fox like they were just like kind of a scrappier group but i think the two things were the second half the bucks seemed to turn it around and Someone in each of those games, and primarily Eric Bledsoe in in the Lakers and Kings game, like he was the one that was like, "Okay, I'm gonna win this game on my own, and I really don't care." And it's kind of good to see about that. In the Chicago one, it was kind of a combination of Brogdon and you know Miritich had his streak, and I guess I should also give Brogdon a shout because he did hit that big three in the Sacramento game also. So definitely a slower first start, but second half kind of flipping a switch type of thing and like i said i didn't watch the utah game from what i read it seemed like you know the bucks were struggling they finally regained their footing had a giant lead and then it kind of i think tired legs and lack of guard depth kind of hurt them in the end yeah i think the you know the interesting thing about you were talking about the bucks maybe coming alive in the second half that lakers game the whole way it just felt like even though the Lakers were leading for a lot of it, just felt like the Bucks were going to win in the end, which is a fantastic feeling. That's very new, new this year for this Bucks team. Riley, what, what's a big takeaway or observation you may have had from this past week? The depth on this team is crazy. I mean, it, whether it be not having Giannis for the Chicago game and the way Chicago plays, I mean, it's like all their starters. And if nobody else is able to score that's fine just fine by them they're going to ride those top five and you still get by without Giannis. and then to be able to go on the road and beat these you know beat the sacramento and beat los angeles kind of sacramento at their own game a little bit and then los angeles i mean obviously prime time against lebron that's its own kind of thing but then also then after that um you know road game back to back you're missing like damn near every you know uh, what is it? Two fifths of the starters with Brogdon and Bledsoe out. You run out there with like everybody's going to be six foot nine and above, and you like put a twenty to two twenty to two run right on the Jazz or whatever ended up being. It was super crazy to watch right at the start because you go in assuming this really unconventional big lineup is going to get dominated, and yet they come out and just put the work on the Jazz. So to be able to come through the trip three and one, and that final game being the second game in a back to back on the road in Utah against all of them against i mean the bulls are awful obviously but the other games are <laughs> pretty great teams or you know interesting teams in their own right at their own you know Playoff the teams yes yeah i mean exactly and all in the west as well the fact that they're able to get through that and even last night be as close as they are and if you go back and look at the minute load for each of the starters it's still like within the mid to low 30s for everybody which is super crazy and i would never have guessed had you told me that we were going to have these sorts of injury issues whether it be hill and sterling or bledsoe and brogdon whoever it is that had to be out for rest or due to injury um to still come out with that good of a record and to look that impressive night after night is you know it's indicative of how awesome this season has gone and uh 
I'm looking forward to how it goes from here on out now that we're going to be returning back from the road and coming back to Milwaukee for a little bit. Yeah, but my the weird thing that said that the, the Jazz game was bizarre one because obviously they were missing their guards. And so the jumbo lineup, which started the game, was basically Antetokounmpo, Middleton, Miritich, Lopez, and Ilyasova. But weirdly, as is fitting with this Bucks team, uh, the fact that they were missing their guards like probably contributed more to the fact that they got outscored in the paint 50 to 42 uh because like all of those big guys are like it's actually better like when brogdon and bledsoe are in uh, i think their chances to score more in the paint is is probably higher so that just points to the fact that this bucks team is such a, a bizarre constructed team that still works really really well together and the thing that was a you know frustrating about that jazz game and i think the fact that the Bucks had it within fours. I mean, I rather you gave all the caveats, but it's really impressive. But if you just look at like where the Bucks were shooting from, uh, you know, they kind of got out of what their typical shooting diet was. So, you know, I'm just not clean based on cleaning the glass. So they take 29% of their shots at the rim. Um, and but for the whole season, the Bucks usually take 41.5% of shots at, at the rim. That's second in the league. Um, you know, mid-range, 34% of shots from the mid-range. On the season, Bucks usually do 20.2% of shots from the mid-range. You know, and then you look at um, three-pointers, you know, 37%, which is which is pretty typical. But then what you do is you go down to the accuracy, and Bucks only shoot 54.2% at the rim, uh, whereas on the season, you know, they're usually converting 67.4%. So, I think you definitely felt the absence of Bledsoe and Brogdon, their ability to finish, uh, and it contributed a lot to this team turning it probably a little bit more into a jump shooting team than than they would have liked, uh, which was just like a really weird facet of of, of last night's game. And the Jazz also shot sixty five point two percent at the rim. Um, the Bucks' season average is fifty six point seven percent, whereas the sixty five point two percent would be twenty fifth worst like the 25th ranked in the league um, all per cleaning the glass. So Bucks just, you know, the, the type of formula that they've usually been winning with uh, just wasn't necessarily there last night. And they still only lost by four to the jazz on the road with Donovan Mitchell going off for uh, a very, very impressive amount. Um, and I talked about those rim stats. I just looked at, you know, these, these defensive field goal things are always so hard, but I just looked briefly at the NBA.com uh you, like player tracking tools and uh <clears throat> here's what um players shot against nikola miritich at the rim um four for four <laughs> here's what they shot against ursan Ilyasova at the rim uh, weirdly uh five for five uh, <laughs> and, uh Bro- brooke lopez um went one for eight uh team the jazz were against him so uh I'm not sure if anyone else noticed that, but uh certainly seemed like Ursan had a, a tough night at the office defensively at the room. You noticed that too, Riley. Uh yeah, I think that's one way to put it. I, I think Gobert dunked on uh Ursan, and I'm pretty sure I saw Ursan deform into a pile of dust. So I don't I don't know if he's gonna be available tonight against the Suns, but he's uh it's it's last night was a little bit strange just because you're shorthanded, but definitely if we can re- kind of tone back a little bit on the Ursan minutes, especially in certain lineups where he's getting eaten alive on defense. I would, I think that might be a good suggestion for Bud to kind of keep in mind. I just well, the same uh, thing happened on Friday, like against the Lakers, he was getting torched by LeBron, getting torched by Ingram. Like he was also getting, you know, lit up on Friday. So it wasn't just like Saturday. And when I tweeted, like, you know, 
I it was frustrating to see Ursan get this much run while Wilson sent out a bench. And I was like, well, Wilson was bad. It's like, okay, but Wilson was bad for, you know, two minutes, which isn't really fair because it could have just been a bad timing while Ursan's been bad. Like, especially with the lineups with Miritich, like on NBA stats.com, he him and Miritich in the two man lineup, they have a defensive rating of 109.7 which is the worst of any player that's currently on the roster. Like the next course is Pat Connaughton and they're at, and that's at 103.1. And like, yeah, the offense is good. Like the offensive rating was like 137 and this is in 56 minutes, but like still when you're getting lit up defensively, it's not going to help anything else. This is very much indicative of the fact that both Miritich and Ilyasova, they're both like, okay like Miritich more than Ursan in terms of individual defense and they're probably more helpful in in a team system than they are you know one-on-one so the fact that they've been paired together so then you have two guys who can kind of be run at especially against teams that can focus on them with you know just run sets for that uh it's not great so hopefully maybe DJ or we'll figure it out once we have a little bit more health but definitely not uh, a highlight that they're going to want to put on uh put on the old highlight reel yeah, don't don't need to see too much of a Ursan guarding LeBron James. Uh, <laughs> a defensive highlight reel. Also, when you mentioned him turning into a pile of dust, I pictured I pictured him as like a phoenix in Harry Potter, uh, turning into a pile of dust. And uh, Bud is like Dumbledore in this scenario, and so he's just like continues to be reborn over and over. Yeah, with like scotch tape. Uh, yeah, yes, like clear yeah. scotch tape. <laughs> clear scotch tape. Oh. Uh, one you. more point. Can I make one more point about the game or just like the week that was? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. I would say, I mean, obviously Giannis and kind of matched bucket for bucket with Mitchell, but I think what was super encouraging and probably super par for the course and not super surprising, just given the way that Giannis has been, but given the fact that the Bucks were missing two fifths of their starting units and given the fact that Utah is a top three defense and given the fact that Gobert is such a good, you know, paint defender the fact that Giannis just went after him possession after possession after possession and got every single shot he wanted was wild to watch and should be a super encouraging sign that even against teams that have really good defenses this year for whatever reason Giannis is just on one and able to get right around it no problem so that that's a really good sign for even if other guys aren't really on for the playoffs I'm not too concerned about in years past. You're like, oh, are they going to, you know, wall Giannis off and then everybody else is going to have to kill him? It it won't matter if you try to put a human wall between it. He's going to get around it regardless. So I thought that was really cool to watch and probably something to keep in the back of your mind as we go forward. Yeah. Also, the fact that um, that last Jazz game, when they matched Gobert against him, that kind of seemed to be the first time a team would do that match a center against Giannis. And yeah, um, some people were like, "Oh, well, maybe this is the strategy." Uh, the fact that the the, the next game Giannis like, was like, "Oh no, Rudy Gobert is going to finish <laughs> minus 36. I, I I just don't know how these people talk about. You know, what if he, you know, if he's not able to make a jump shot? What happens when teams wall him off in the playoffs? It's like, I I don't know, man. I Brad Stevens might have had the best strategy so far last year where he was like, look, we're just going to let Giannis score like 45 uh, and he's going to be able to do whatever he wants. Um, and that's, you know, I just don't think there's a tried and true strategy to stop Giannis. Uh, and clearly he showed You can't that. stop him. You can only contain him to the best of your ability. Absolutely. Uh, all right, guys, let's look ahead. So, of course, uh, when you're listening to this, it'll be Monday, March 4th. Bucks finish up their road trip at the Phoenix Suns. Uh, then on third, they get a few days off, and on Thursday, 
They'll be back home to face the Indiana Pacers. Saturday, they head to Charlotte. Or they're sorry, they're in Milwaukee and they face Charlotte. Um, and then they do another three game road trip kicking off on Sunday at the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, Kyle, oh, prognosticator, what do you think the Bucks will go over that stretch? Let's go 4 0. Uh, uh, I was going to say, I was going to 4 and oh, 4 and oh. <laughs> I, I kind of I was hesitant because I was like, okay, that Indiana game, it's going to be tough, but it's at Pfizer Ford, so I feel a little bit better. The Charlotte game. Again, going to be tough, but that's also at Pfizer form. Feel good about it. And then the Spurs is the following day. So I don't know if there's going to be a load management with, like, you know, maybe giving Giannis rest or kind of like maybe giving Bledsoe or Brogdon or like another player getting some secondary rest. But I still feel confident, regardless of who plays and who doesn't play, that Milwaukee can handle these four teams. I mean, Phoenix isn't good, but, you know, they can. They beat Milwaukee in Milwaukee through some crazy luck and beat the Lakers last on Saturday night. So who knows? But I'm going to go four and zero. I I just feel good about it, and having the Indiana and Charlotte game at Pfizer Forum makes me feel better about it. I will follow up all that optimism, and I'm going to guess two and two. Um, <laughs> not that I, you know, I mean four and zero is definitely for sure possible outcome but i would i would say we've seen just like even the phoenix game earlier this year like this team is still capable of every once in a while there being a weird fluke game i don't anticipate it being the case like they're definitely not going to lose two in a row to phoenix and thus have their first two in a row losses of the season so i'm not worried about that but indiana is obviously they're fighting if they can continue to hold the third seat down that's really interesting for the way the playoffs end up working out um charlotte i'm not as worried about and then san antonio uh it's a lot more, you know, kill or be killed out West. And while every win is super important, obviously for the Bucks holding home court, both in the East and then just for the playoffs in general is important. I think uh, they're probably, probably a little more hungry. And the fact that it's going to be a back-to-back on the road that you're going to have to travel to, I'm not too confident. So I'm going to guess two and two probable losses against maybe Indiana and San Antonio. Well, thank you, Riley, um, for going two and two and saying which games they might win or lose. So you can use that. Um, next week to uh, explain why you're <laughs> get the, the credit, player. get all but the credit. Uh, I'm going to go three and one. I think they're going to slip up in that San Antonio game. I just think it's going to be tough to go on the road on a back to back. And I also think that uh, pops team out of almost any of them is, is uniquely suited to uh, if they're hitting on the night, since they hunt out those mid range shots, uniquely suited to potentially uh, really take advantage of this bucks defense. So we'll have to see how that one goes, but the good news for you is that Kyle, who is always right, guessed that they'd go 4-0. So <laughs> thank you for um, predicting that, Kyle. And we oh, will boy. sign Yeah, we will sign off now. Wish the Bucks luck this week. Uh, make sure to review, rate us on iTunes, uh, subscribe on whatever your favorite podcast app is. This is the Brew Hoop feed. And, of course, you'll also find Brian's show dropping every Thursday, Bucks Film Room, breaking down the games. And stay tuned to brewhoop.com for all of your favorite Bucks articles and our takes there. So thank you again. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking.